What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, I had a very special guest on the show. This was an amazing conversation. I think we've kind of been killing it with the guests that we've been bringing on. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I had Mike Stone, Dr. Mike Stone from Wild Health, and we really dug into something that is very near and dear to my heart, which is personalization in the fitness and nutrition space. Wild Health is doing some really cool things when it comes to personalized healthcare, actually driven by your genetics. We talked about gut health, GI mapping. We talked about hormones. We talked about gut health, really digging in to the individual, which you guys know is kind of my thing. And Mike Stone was just an absolute wealth of knowledge. You guys are going to love this conversation. Before I let you listen, I have to give away some stuff as we do. It's really simple if you want to win. You just go to Apple Podcasts and you leave a five-star rating and review and you're eligible to win each week. So here's the cool part. This week, we only had two reviews, which means you had a 50% chance. I'm just going to be fully transparent. I think last week we had four. This week we had two, meaning your odds of winning are really high if you just do what I'm saying, which is open up your Apple Podcast app on your phone, go to the search function, even if you subscribe to the podcast, type in Mind Over Macros, click on the thumbnail, scroll down to where you see the reviews, tap write a review, click on the five stars, write your little review, and you've got a chance to win. What do you win? You win any supplement of your choice from our sponsors, which are Cured and Organifi, or our own pop supplement line. So you've got your choice. This time, I am selecting CJA1984. CJA1984. I have to say, I picked you because your username had 1984 in it. If that's your your year of birth, that's also my year of birth. So now you guys know how old I am. I'm going to read the, the review real quick. The title of the re- review, Just the Darn Honest Truth. I'm a busy mom and physician assistant who appreciates your honesty in this podcast. It's so refreshing. You have not only helped me personally with my wellness journey, but I have a solid source to refer patients to. We all know the market is inundated with products and services that don't have the science behind them or good intent, but this podcast is one that I can feel good about recommending. Thank you. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And you are our winner. So all you have to do is send me an email. My email address is mike at peakoptimizationperformance.com. And you get your pick of the litter when it comes to supplements from our sponsors or from our own pop line. All right. With that being said, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Mike Stone from Wild Health. If you appreciate this episode, please tell us about it. Post it to your stories on Instagram. Tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Wild Health. Their Instagram username is at WildHealthMD. That's at WildHealthMD. Now, enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. I have a special guest joining me on the show today. I have got Mike Stone, who is a doctor for Wild Health. First of all, Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the beginning, uh, however however uh, far back we need to go to kind of give some context into where you are today working with Wild Health. And I know you mentioned before we started recording that you've been on the patient side of wild health. You've been on the 
doc side of wild health. Um, but but let's start with how you got into this industry in the first place and kind of where it all began for you. Wow, we could go really far back, but I'll, I'll try and keep it pertinent. Um, so I uh, um, trained as a physician. So I, I was a, a sort of wandering biology major in undergrad and uh, decided at the last minute that I wanted to go into medicine. So that set me back a year in terms of uh, working for a year after college before going to med school, which was actually a wonderful experience. And, and I'm kind of glad I took my time to figure it out in retrospect, but uh, went into med school, went in really eager to do orthopedics as a specialty. And um, I'll, I'll save you the long story, except that uh, within a year, I was like, yeah, I don't really think I want to do orthopedics. Um, and I found myself towards the end of um, medical school going uh, specialty to specialty, kind of deciding what I wanted to train into. And I really enjoyed the um, the variety that came with emergency medicine and trained out in California, in uh, in Oakland, in emergency medicine, and then spent um, about 15 years as uh, after residency training as a practicing emergency physician. So I worked in academic medical centers, uh, did research, ran divisions and and fellowships, and um, and then went into a full time community gig out here in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I've always been one of those sort of stereotypical ER docs with uh, a bunch of um, side hustles slash uh, alternative interests, um, whether it be you know music related or um, or health tech. Um, started a couple of businesses along the way, and then ended up in a um, in a situation where I was working in a medical device uh, industry capacity as well as as an ER doc. Um, and then two guys from uh, two good friends of mine who um, I had met through the emergency medicine world, and we had actually started a nonprofit together and become fast friends, Matt Dawson and Mike Mallon, uh, reached out and said, hey, we're, we're starting this thing called Wild Health, um, and would you be interested in getting involved? And the genesis of Wild Health was really that... Um, you know, Mike and Matt are uh, physically very similar from the outside. They're both uh, extreme uh, at the time were extreme athletes and uh, eating the same diet. Uh, they were, I want to say they were on a pretty high fat, low carb diet at the time. They went and got their labs drawn and they couldn't have looked more different um, in terms of particularly uh, cardiovascular risk and lipid profiles. And this was really fascinating to them because they were really evenly matched across any other metric you might look at. Um, and then they went and had their DNA done um, and found, wow, there's a very clear explanation why one of them looks like they're going to keel over from a heart attack at any moment. And the other one uh, from a, from a lab perspective and the other one looks uh, supremely healthy. Um, so they, um, they started out uh, doing consultations for patients and this quickly scaled over the last three years into a telemedicine business that, uh, that we're running that um, combines DNA laboratory data, biometrics, microbiome assessment, um, really in-depth interviews with patients and goal setting, and a team-based care model with a physician and health coach assigned to every patient to guide them through their medical journey. And for us, it's been just transformative, not only, um, and I can speak if you want later to, to my own uh, personal experience with it, but as a patient, but as a physician, you know, I would probably spend 
between 90 seconds and eight minutes with a patient in the emergency department um, and being able to spend an hour in a visit diving deep into what's going on with somebody and really helping them optimize their health as opposed to putting a either a, a band-aid or a splint or a suture into something that's happening right this moment that's already gone wrong. Um, it has just been so fulfilling and, and such a, a, a really great progression for me in my career. Yeah. And that's uh really interesting context because I think we've been seeing this shift. Maybe it's just because of the bubble that I'm in, but the, the shift of conventional medicine just being more of a, a band-aid solution, treat the symptom. There's not much, you know, digging in terms of root causes and and the more person-centric approach of getting to to learn what's actually happening in in an in individual's everyday life and the stressors that they're facing and you know what they're eating and how they're moving we're seeing that shift but at the same time the the healthcare system is is set up in a way where it is it is a business it's it is profitable and prescribing medication for for certain things has its time and place and i guess the question i'm asking is where do you see it going are we are we seeing a transition away from that is it kind of we know what we're up against so we try to have conversations like this to bring more awareness to a whole person approach uh where do you see this this shift taking place uh because i think sometimes i'm i'm clouded by the circles that i'm in and i mm -hmm. hear people like yourself and i talk to individuals all the time who are like you know that this is where this is where the future is going but is it really that way or is it just because i'm in a echo chamber uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm probably in a similar echo chamber, um, or at least my own uh, version of that echo chamber. Um, I think I'd answer that by um, by saying we know that the United States healthcare system, as it currently exists, is tragically flawed. Um, you know, you look at uh, health outcomes, life expectancy, cost of providing care per patient, any of those metrics across our population, and compare it to other um you know high income countries and we're always trailing you know near the very end of the pack if not last in the pack so what we're you know and and there's lots of tangents we could go off here you know are you tragically flawed because you're focusing on sick care instead of preventative care are you tragically flawed because we have uh you know predominantly a fee-for-service model in healthcare where physicians are reimbursed and and paid better to do more um, in terms of procedures, surgeries, et cetera, um, and are our incentives just malaligned? Um, I think there is a, um, a groundswell of understanding that a holistic approach to a patient, whether you choose to call that holistic medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine, personalized medicine, you know, I, I think there's lots of terms that are floating around because not everybody's sure what they're doing um, and, and how to really categorize it. Um, but I think this idea of really working with a patient and recognizing that the treatment that I might prescribe for you could be completely different than the treatment that I could prescribe for someone with a similar ethnicity, similar age, similar gender, who um, just has a different genetic blueprint and is going to respond differently to different things. Now, some of that is um, is our genetics and some of that is our epigenetics, so how we express the genes that we have. And some of it's just straightforward, good for everybody lifestyle stuff, right? So like there's, I, I, I tell people, I think about 20 to 30% of the interventions that I plan for patients 
really lean on their genetics and their genetic predispositions. And probably 60 to 70% is um, just good sense, right? I mean, you look at 50% of US adults over the age of 65 have diabetes or prediabetes like or obesity like we're we're doing something clearly wrong just generally whether it's the drive through at the fast food or or the sugar sweetened beverages or whatever it is the lack of activity there are some lifestyle things that just kind of apply to everybody but then there are um i think a growing number of physicians and uh broader healthcare practitioners who are really recognizing that there's a sweet spot here where you're in you're you're including an evidence-based approach to medical care it's not just you know woo woo crystal therapy and you know whatever else you know raspberry ketones and but you're also able to lean on the um the fact that a prescription first model that just says, well, you have this lab abnormality, so here's a prescription for that disease, is an insufficient way of treating people. And it, and it really does um, stop us short from helping people achieve their their optimum goals. Yeah, I completely agree. I was I was really hoping that raspberry ketones would be the, the cure-all, but unfortunately, <laughs> that hasn't been the case. Um, so do you view what you're doing at Wild Health as kind of a, a replacement, as a supplement, or I guess like what I view with with coaching in general, trainers, nutrition coaching, functional medicine, I kind of view it more so as the first line of defense. Like let's not, let's not have to go to that, you know, conventional way of doing things if we don't have to. Or I'll also separate it where if there's an acute issue, like if I get stabbed in, in the arm, take me to a hospital. But if I have more of a chronic ailment, that's like you mentioned, if I, maybe it's maybe it's diabetes, maybe it's something that's just a, a chronic stress in my life that's presenting with with symptoms of fatigue and trouble sleeping, things like that. I, I don't really want to go to my my primary care physician. I would I would rather go see somebody like yourself. Uh, it, where do you kind of place Wild Health in in that ecosystem? Yeah. So. Um... One of the most common answers that we uh, that we give to folks when we talk about wild health is it depends, um, and that's uh, largely based on the fact that there isn't one answer for uh, for health that's you know globally applicable most of the time. I mean, if you're going to say should people eat more dietary fiber, I'll say yes. Almost all Americans need to eat more dietary fiber. So there are some things that you can generalize, but as we get into individual circumstances, it, it almost always depends. In this case, um, we have patients where we function as their primary care physicians and as their personalized uh, medicine docs, and it's all wrapped up into one. We have other patients who have longstanding relationships with a local primary care physician. We're telemedicine, so it's a, there are some limitations to tele. Um, and we, in, if they enjoy the relationship they have with their primary or even the relationship they have with, say, their neurologist or cardiologist or whoever they work with, we encourage people to keep those relationships. And we're happy to communicate with and work together with those teams to get the best outcome possible for the patient. So we can do primary care. We're certainly capable of it. We do it for a lot of our patients. And in other cases, we just work with the patient um, on their other goals and try and make sure that we're integrating and communicating with their other care team members to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and people who listen to me, that my most common answer that frustrates the hell out of everybody is I always say it depends and uh, <laughs> everybody wants the the general answer, but I think that that helps to uh, 
provide some context for what you guys do. I'm curious from from your background, having come from kind of like the the traditional healthcare system and then transitioning, what were some of the the tests that I guess opened your eyes the most where you were like, wow, there's really a lot that we can do with whether it's genetic testing or uh, microbiome testing. What, what were some of the things that really opened your eyes to a lot of kind of information or digging that really made a difference for patients? Yeah. I mean, I'd say um, I, I learned uh, how to practice precision medicine um, really I, largely self-taught and, and mentored by um by Mike and Matt who had been doing it a bit longer. Um, and then I really took my, um, you know, frankly, full on nerdy scientific brain and said, well, I, I, I think the biggest bias that I carried into transitioning into precision medicine was, is this all a load of crap, right? Like, are we just telling ourselves that there's something here, but there's no data to support it. And, uh, you know, I'm okay with some things not being studied because, you know, the classic example in the medical literature is no one's ever done a randomized controlled trial of whether parachutes work right? Like you're not going to study things that don't need to be studied. But um, on the other hand, I want to make sure that if I'm giving advice to a patient, I feel confident that that's the best advice today we can give. We know that evidence changes over time and things that we were advising for pneumonia 20 years ago, we don't advise today. But can I give the 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 most well-supported, highest quality advice to a patient right now today? So I just really dug into the medical literature. I went directly into the into PubMed and started looking at specific single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs, with, you know, our own genetic variations. I started looking at um, interventions like sauna, interventions like uh, sleep optimization, uh, cold exposure, uh, antioxidant therapy, spirulina, sulforaphane. I started looking at sort of the entire breadth of what can be incorporated into a healthcare plan using more of a functional approach and realized that there's a ton of great evidence for a lot of things that I never learned anything about in medical school in a traditional medical setting. I mean, people will say it's about a two to six hour nutrition curriculum that you get in medical school. And I think that's about accurate. I mean, I think you learn about the major macronutrients and then they're like, you know, eat less, move more. <laughs> and that's sort of what you get in medical school. And um, that was the the genesis of feeling like there was a real there there. And then working with patients and seeing these transformations. I mean, we have, you know, 50% of patients who come to us with prediabetes or diabetes no longer have prediabetes or diabetes without prescription medication within a year of working with us. Like we started seeing that it worked and, you know, we've done some data analysis we've submitted for uh, uh, publication under peer review. It's currently in review. So we don't have any, any, I can't give you like real specific numbers or, or other metrics, but across multiple biomarkers, and markers of disease, um, we know that this approach of, uh, and, and we don't know exactly which part of the approach it is, right? Because we didn't break it out, but we know that a team-based approach where you have a health coach, a physician, um, DNA labs, and a telemedicine model improves patient's health. And, you know, that is really phenomenal. What's even more phenomenal is the actual experiential part of having that happen for me 
of hearing stories from my patients of what they're now able to do or hey i just won the you know this competition and you guys helped me do this that and the other it's it's really um you know it, it's sort of uh self perpetuating at this point uh we're we've all drunk the Kool-Aid um yeah. it's just about trying to make sure that we're staying on top of the literature as the evidence changes and we're giving the most up to date and well supported recommendations yeah, that's that's amazing. And it, it kind of sparked a thought and it's probably going to be impossible to answer, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, uh, because okay. I'm, I'm going through <laughs> it depends. I'm going through something similar where I got to a place where my symptoms, mo mainly digestive, were just it's been my whole life, really. But mm -hmm. recently, it was just like, you know what, I should probably figure out what's going on. And like, it never hindered me in any way. It was just annoying enough for long enough that eventually I was like, you know what, I should probably do some testing. And so the question I have is because you, you started mentioning a few things that are gaining popularity, cold exposure, you see that everywhere now, sauna, great research behind it, uh, you know, red light therapy, whatever it is, there's, there's, you know, of course, we know the importance of sleep and stress management. So what I'm wondering is, where do we go from the basics to the advanced? If you understand the question, like, there's so many lifestyle components that we can insert before we get to gut testing or you know, whatever else it may be. So how do you kind of use this? It, maybe you don't, but how do you kind of place this hierarchy of if I, if I told people like, you should probably walk more, like you mentioned, eating more fiber, those are all basic, you know, lifestyle hacks for whatever you want to call them that will make a huge difference. Eating better quality food, uh, reducing alcohol consumption, sleeping more, all of that stuff, managing stress will, will make a huge difference. At what point, do we go the path of, okay, now it's time to do some more advanced testing or optimization, or uh, is there is there a place where you feel like you have to kind of earn the right to to take the next step? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot that's great in in that that question and just um, sort of thought direction. Um, number one, I, I just want to address the the basics. The basics, are um you know sleep movement nutrition stress reduction spending time with people who you love right it, having a, a real sense of gratitude and joy in your day-to-day -day, right that's what we that's what we all want um if it were easy you wouldn't have to tell people to do that right i mean i remember i was on a, a flight recently and they came around with the little cookies or crackers or whatever and uh, i'll i'll save you the my strategies around uh, air travel but i i abstained from the cookie uh the guy next to me got a cookie and turned to me and said um wouldn't it be great if this was a health food <laughs> and i said yes it would be fantastic if it was a health food because people would eat healthy um health coaching um actually goes a really long way to bridging that gap between yes it's basic and many of us have heard of it i'm sure your listeners know about a lot of this stuff and you know it's one thing to know what we think is good for us it's another thing to actually successfully incorporate that into building habits that stick so that it doesn't feel like you're um just swimming upstream right so 
On the basic side, I think it's actually not that basic because it's about behavior change and yeah. behavior change is challenging. And that's really where um, I think coaching comes in, in a, in a tremendous way. Um, as far as when to take it to the next step, you know, we, we're definitely a data-driven organization and we have a data-driven philosophy. What gets measured gets managed. And it's one thing if somebody comes, you know, if you were to come to me as a patient and tell me that you've had nagging digestive symptoms, you know, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, that kind of stuff, you know, it's been for years. You're, you're just like, my stomach never really feels great. Um, I think I'd be very inclined on the early side to do some microbiome assessment. I'd also want to dig into like, is there a lactose intolerance? Is this potentially like another, you know, dietary intolerance that's um that's causing some of your symptoms? But microbiome testing, you know, the the microbiome has exploded as an area of research and interest over the last 10 to 15 years. And, you know, fascinating the connection between metabolism, brain function, cardiovascular health, diabetes, you know, across the board, um, our microbiome is essentially an organ that we've ignored for the last several hundred years of medicine. So there's a lot there. It's not the answer to everything. Um, but if somebody comes to me with, um, with symptoms that I think could be attributed to, uh, either, you know, dysbiosis or inflammation in the, in the microbiome, I'm going to want to investigate that. And then similarly, you know, because we're doing a lot of biomarker assessment, if we find, you know, evidence of, uh, you know, elevated inflammatory markers without a clear etiology, a clear reason, we're we're likely going to look into the microbiome as a source of that chronic inflammation. We really know that inflammation drives the progression of all of the chronic diseases that you don't want. So, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, dementia, et cetera. So if we have sort of some evidence of inflammation that's going on, we don't have a clear cause. There's lots of places to look, but the microbiome is definitely one of them. And that'd be a place where I'd consider getting some micro microbiome testing, even if the person didn't have specific gut symptoms. Yeah. And, and that's a great answer, especially providing context on the challenge of behavior change and the fact that it's really not as as simple and basic as as we make it out to be uh, because we have this this piece of real estate between our ears that typically gets in the way of uh doing things that are different and sometimes unpredictable and uncomfortable and uh, we are all very biased and that can can present a challenge it, it, it's funny i'm doing a lot of uh psychology research uh lately and just understanding how we can justify decisions, uh, the concept known as a halo effect, where if you have something good, you're more likely to choose the, a bad thing the next time. Or if uh, you a concept called borrowing from the future, where if I am going to make a decision today, but I know I can make the same decision in the future, I'm more likely to make a worse decision today. So, uh, you know, if it's, hey, do you want this cookie on the plane or do you want this apple on the plane? And you're like, well, I have a flight next week. Next week, I'll choose the apple, but now I'm going to choose the cookie. You actually won't choose the apple the next time. But there's all these little cognitive biases that we have that uh, keep us stuck in our way. So I just wanted to uh, highlight that fact because it is important, um, even though we call them basics. It, it's If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, it you know, with my personal stuff, my my test came back with uh, H. pylori and SIBO. So I've got a whole process ahead of me, but it's it, it really was just nice to have some answers. And I think oh, yeah. that for, from the patient side of things, being able to know that 
number one, I'm not crazy that I didn't make up these symptoms, that it wasn't just in my head, that there was some, you know, it was a validating uh, piece of evidence to see that there's there's actually something going on here that that needs to be taken care of. And then to, to feel like I actually have an, a game plan in place uh, can be really encouraging. Um, is there anything that I, I, actually we can use the the two owners that you mentioned? Um, is it Mike and Matt? Mm hmm. As an example, what what do you see? Because I want to get a little bit granular here. What do you see from a nutrition side in particular with they were kind of consuming the same diet? When when you look into um, DNA testing, genetic testing, or or whatever you're kind of assessing, what are some of the major things that is it more of uh, macro ratios? Is it food choices? Is it all of the above? What are some of those things if we, we want to get a little bit granular here that, that you see from two people who are eating the same way, but one that's performing negatively, the other is performing positively? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, some of the things, so we'll look at a, at, we look at about upwards of 500, I want to say maybe closer to a thousand, um, single nucleotide polymorphisms. When we, when we perform our DNA testing, we have our own custom chip that we run. Um, we're not, um, quite interested in your ancestry data or, you know, whether you like the taste of cilantro or not, we're, we're really looking at sort of, um, actionable items that we can apply to not just nutrition, but also sleep inflammation, um, methylation and a variety of other, um, things that, that we'll focus on. Um, I think, uh, I'll, I'll actually just use the example of me, uh, okay. just to leave Mike and Matt out of it. <laughs> they, um, so I, um, first got my labs drawn um when i was eating uh really uh like uh not a junk keto diet but a, a, a keto diet but you know not bacon and uh and uh like tons of saturated fat but like a, a pretty saturated fat largely whole food keto diet um I felt great at the time. I was performing well in the gym. My energy levels were good. My mental focus was good. And I had had um, cholesterol testing done through my primary care doc about two years prior. And it all looked pretty much fine. I mean, my low density lipoprotein, my LDL was like 105 with 100 being the cutoff for where you want it to be. And I was totally cool with that. Um, and I got my labs done, um, in the midst of, and my, my genetics run early on at wild health, just to really be a guinea pig as much as anything else. Um, and to learn more about this by having a vested interest in learning about it. Cause I would have my own data to look at. And my, um, LDL was like 210 <laughs> it had doubled since, uh, the, the prior, um, the prior labs and that dietary change. And, um, a ton of like i mean it was it was a it was a kind of like a look and shriek uh cholesterol panel i had my ldlp which is concerning when that's elevated because it indicates that the cholesterol particles themselves are smaller and more likely to get into the arterial walls and lead to atherosclerosis my ldlp was like unmeasurably high i had all sorts of um of issues going on that i had no evidence of previously um, looking in terms of what that led to and uh, looking at data and, and why that became clear. Um, so some of the SNPs that we look at are the um, the FTO SNPs or fat mass and obesity SNPs. We look at um, um, P, uh, PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma, um, uh, TCF. We look at uh, um, GIPR. So we look at a number of SNPs that have to do with 
how we metabolize saturated fat, how we metabolize carbohydrates. We look at um, SNPs that have to do with, uh, do you have a higher risk for um, inflammation or insulin resistance with late night, uh, with with meals after dark, with calories after dark? Um, In my case, I had an APOE4 measured as well, um, which has a lot to do with not only risk for cognitive decline and dementia later in life, but also risk for uh, abnormal lipid profiles and responses to a ketogenic diet. And I could basically find about six things in uh, in my genes that said, you're an idiot for eating a high fat ketogenic diet. (laughs) <laughs> you need to cut down saturated fat significantly. You don't need to eliminate fat from your diet, but for me, I really needed to drop down to about 20 to 25 grams of saturated fat a day or less. Um, and then to, um, with some of my, uh, my glucose and insulin um, markers needed to cut out any kind of simple carbohydrates and move to complex carbohydrates, increase dietary fiber for the cholesterol perspective, and um, and really just completely upend the way I was eating. Um, so I went ahead and went uh, full vegan, um, which I have to say, uh, actually, I, I want to qualify that for the real vegans out there. I was not full vegan. I ate vegan, but I definitely still owned leather belts and it wouldn't turn away something with honey in it. I wasn't like a full core ethical vegan. I just went vegan for a nutritional standpoint and no dairy, no meat, no fish, no eggs. Um, and my, uh, cholesterol, uh, my LDL levels dropped from like 205 to maybe 130. Um, which is really remarkable. I mean, it's more than you're going to get off of a low dose, uh, statin prescription medication, um, in, in many cases. And, um, but I was hungry all of the time. Um, I was pretty crabby. Um, I had had some more, uh, GI symptoms come up as a vegan than I'd had when I was, uh, eating keto. And ultimately this was a journey I embarked on with a doc at wild health and a coach. And I have since founded, uh, um, it's not really a necessarily a macronutrient breakdown that works for me. It's a amount of protein. So I do pay attention. I do track my protein, not always with like an app or whatever, but I know how much protein is in what I'm eating. And I, I keep an eye on that. And then the kinds of foods that work well for me within that with a limit on saturated fat and doing that has, you know, remarkably transformed not only my lab values, but how I feel day to day, my energy, my body composition, like it, it's been pretty transformative for me. So it's easy for me to get excited talking to patients and to encourage people to embark on these kinds of journeys with us because I've, I've had a, a great experience myself, but, um, in, tr- you know, nutrition, I think saturated fat, uh, limits, um, meal timing, uh, types of carbohydrates and total amounts of carbohydrates. Those are the sorts of things we'll get some insight into with, um, with the genetic testing that we do. It's interesting. And did you reintroduce meat and fish and eggs and everything back into your diet? Yeah. I don't tolerate eggs really well, uh, from just like an inflammatory standpoint, which is one of, um, you know, if I were going to have a pity party for myself, that would probably be like number one on the pity party would be that I, I can't really do eggs with any frequency because I love eggs. Um, but I do eat a ton of fish um, and I have introduced some uh, land-based animals again. Um, but I'd, I'd say the majority of my protein comes from fish and and uh, limited amounts of, of other protein. 
Interesting. And then when you say, you know, for your, you know, the SNPs that you looked at for yourself didn't really work well with a high saturated fat diet. I'm, I'm wondering because is there a situation where that would be the case where you would see some, some, you know, info where this person might do well with a very high saturated fat diet or, um, you know, even the, the switch from simple carbs to complex carbs, uh, seems kind of more like, you know, again, something that we all could benefit a little bit from. Um, so do, yeah, do you see that any... one for sure? Um, that one for sure for, uh, for me, um, you know, what we do when we run people, when we run data for our patients is we've, we have built a, um, a software algorithm that does a weighted polygenic risk score on patients based on their genetics, but also incorporating their lab results. Um, and we spit out like a 50 some odd page report that's personalized for that patient. But then we also go through with the patient, with the doctor, with the health coach and spend an hour running through the key areas of the report and tweaking because that may actually, you know, we may have a recommendation that goes with your genes that you're actually not having this symptom at all. And that recommendation is contrary to what you want to be doing in your life for one reason or another. So we, we use this as a place to start. Um, and then we customize it even further from there. But the first sort of nutrition macronutrient aspect of it really gives you a, we, we've got a, a, a sort of a, a sliding dial of, um, carbohydrate intolerance, fat intolerance, and saturated fat intolerance. And if somebody has really low saturated fat intolerance, meaning there's really no genetic reason why they couldn't eat as much saturated fat as they wanted, and we're seeing that they don't have signs of inflammation, they don't have an abnormal lipid profile, um, by all means, if that person's either interested in already doing or maybe isn't even yet considering a high saturated fat diet we may say this could work out really well for you but we're going to recommend whatever we do we're going to start it once we all agree this is what we want to do doc coach patient we're all on the same page and then we're going to measure again um and we're going to see how this is working for you we're not just going to one off and say okay well that's your new plan we're going to check in with you how are you feeling how's your digestion what do your labs look like is this working for you are you having you know lifestyle things that are getting in the way of eating this way or is it you know is it really inconvenient with your family that you're now cooking different meals and you you know these are all the sorts of behavioral change things that have to come into play to make this successful but in, in a short answer to your question, yes, there's folks who have zero saturated fat intolerance who either want to eat carnivore or something similar or want to eat uh, a ketogenic diet. And if that's of interest to the patient, we really don't tend to prescribe or recommend a tribal diet. And by tribal, I mean paleo, keto, vegan, you know, low fat, high carb, like whatever, you know, I'm not going to disparage any of those things. People feel very strongly, almost religiously about their, their nutritional approaches. Um, for us, if it's really interesting to the patient and it looks like that would help them reach their goals by all means. Um, but we're really more interested in, uh, in sort of identifying, Hey, that would be a bad strategy for you from, from this perspective, not from yeah. a, a judgment perspective, but you know, I can look at my genes, which I, I pulled up my health report just to look at it while we were chatting. And if I saw this in a patient I hadn't seen before, even without labs back, I would say you should not be eating a ketogenic diet. Yeah. Like it's very likely to, to cause some significant lipid abnormalities for you. I want to take a quick break from this conversation with Mike. 
As you can tell, it's really important to understand what works best for you. But as you can also tell, there are certain things that work no matter what, no matter who you are, what the situation is. And one of those things that we talked about, quality food, getting in more fiber, micronutrients, there is a lot to be said about the basics and the fundamental and foundational things that work for everyone. And so rather than playing the guessing game, what I like to do is have an insurance policy, which is Organifi Green Juice. That is how I start my morning every day. Actually, I have added a little pre-step before that. So what I do now, which I just started over the last week as I'm on this gut healing journey, what I started to do first was I have some lemon water first thing in the morning, and then I have my Organifi Green Juice. So it's like a one-two punch of gut health and micronutrients and also gut health because I'm getting in some vitamins and minerals that are going to help with with digestion and just overall health. So I start with my lemon juice, my lemon water in the morning, and then I go to my Organifi green juice. And it just starts the day on a high note with a positive habit. And it's my insurance policy for getting in a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Because what I've learned on this journey so far is that the variety is key. I made the mistake of only eating like two to three different types of vegetables. I'm a big fan of broccoli. I like cauliflower. And then like every once in a while, Mel and I would like mix in uh, a stir fry of some kind. But for the most part, we only stick with a few veggie sources. So having my Organifi green juice has been a huge asset and a huge difference maker for me when it comes to eating a variety of micronutrients. And that's where I think if our goal is to kind of eat the rainbow as it should be, getting Organifi green juice and Organifi red juice and Organifi gold juice, now that gives you an assortment. So you don't have to worry about how many veggies you're buying every week, how many fruits you're buying every week. They kind of have you covered as, like I said, as that insurance policy. Plus, you know, we've got you hooked off, hooked up with 20% off all of their products of Organifi from Organifi. Just go to Organifi.com slash popfam. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code popfam at checkout. I'm telling you, green juice, red juice, gold juice, you cannot go wrong. Eat the rainbow. Use that as your insurance policy. And as you've heard in this conversation with Mike, there are certain things that everyone can benefit from. And this is one of them getting in more micronutrients, improving food quality, getting in more fiber. Let Organifi do the heavy lifting for you. Simplify to amplify. Organifi.com slash popfam. Get 20% off. Use code popfam at checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation with Dr. Mike Stone. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, you kind of touched on that, that blend of there, there's the the art and the science and, and the science is you have all of this great data and information to say this may not be the best approach for you this might be more effective for from an overall health perspective but then you have the art of compliance and lifestyle and does this work for your for your life and for your family and and it was it reminded me of a conversation i had uh just last week with a good friend of mine and uh she's you know functional medicine practitioner and uh, was telling me about a patient who, uh, you know, got all these lab results back. She, and, and she was kind of going through her food log and it was like, 
you know, all this Coke and Kit Kats and all this stuff. And so she starts talking to her about, you know, hey, there's this like really low hanging fruit thing that we can do that's going to make a huge difference in your life. And the page was like, no, I'm not. I'm not willing to do that. I don't want to stop drinking Coke. I don't want to stop eating Kit Kats. So like, what else can we do? <laughs> so it just reminded me of, you know, there's there's the behavior side of things, which is more of, you know, so the question that I'm getting at is, when you look at it from a compliance standpoint, you know, where do you kind of insert the kind of more lifestyle approach of what what can we do? There's all this stuff that that we can do, but there's also stuff that is attainable and and doable and realistic and practical. Um, so how do you kind of walk that fine line? Yeah, I mean, I think um, my personal approach to this is um, I like to give folks no more than three areas that we're going to focus on at first. Um, so, you know, I have a background in adult education um, and, uh, you know, run all the um, educational efforts at Wild Health. We have a program that trains practitioners, both doctors and health coaches who are interested in learning how to practice personalized medicine. And um, we've got uh, educational materials, obviously, for patients um, and for our internal staff. Um, and, you know, you can't really hold more than three to four concepts um, out of an hour long conversation. Um, so, you know, I, I already mentioned 50 some odd page report. It's, you know, it's built to overwhelm, um, not intentionally it's built to be super thorough and to show everything that we've looked at. But what I'll do is say, okay, um, you know, number one, before the patient even meets with me, They've already met with the with their health coach who's put in a note about what's going on with the patient generally and what their goals are. Um, so I have their I have their goals and I'll confirm those when I meet with the patient, make sure they haven't changed in the interim and that those are still things that are that are high priority importance for them. I'll look at their uh health report and their laboratory data. And um if there are, you know, let's say somebody has diabetes or prediabetes or their inf you know, their C-reactive protein, an inflammatory marker is sky high. Um, those are going to move up the list to be priorities that I want to uh, cover and focus on on the first round. And I'll basically um, look at their, let's say one of their goals is they want to, um, you know, they want to win the CrossFit games this year. Right. That's obviously a pretty high priority goal. We're going to want to spend some time talking about that. But then they've also got some insulin resistance um, and some prediabetes. Well, we're going to add that to the list. And then it looks like their sleep is really um, not functioning the way that it should for them. They're not feeling rested. They're they're Maybe they're not tracking their sleep yet, or maybe they are, and they're seeing that they're not getting the kind of sleep that they want. We'll come out of that meeting with those three goals. And we'll say, these are the steps we're going to take to address each one of these. As we make progress on a goal or even just check it off as achieved, then we move on to another area of the health report or another goal that the patient has. And we say, okay, well, what's next? Um, so it's a journey. It's not, um, you know, the human body, our lives uh, complex enough that even with a detailed polygenic risk score and an hour with a, a doctor and a health coach and another half an hour with a health coach, we're not coming up with the answers to your life. Um, this is a, this is not going to happen in one or two meetings. Um, and, you know, we, we see this evolution with patients where they come to us, we're dealing with some medical problem they have early on. As we get past that, we start to look into the next issue, the next issue, the next issue, and maybe three issues down the line, it turns out that they're 
constantly like sympathetically overdrived and um, super stressed from their work and getting deep into a mindfulness practice or a breathwork practice or something else that's really stress reducing is the biggest benefit they get for the for that for that six months that they're working with us and that's great we're our you know we want to heal the mind body and spirit we, we're we're really looking at getting people to feel like they're at their best and i think to your point if you're going to come at them with here's your 10 point plan for what we're going to do system by system that's too much for anybody to put yeah. into practice and to and to really make something sustainable now i do want to say one thing if somebody says i don't want to stop drinking coca-cola and i don't want to stop eating kitkats that makes me want to ask that person why yeah. and to really dig deep in the interview process into why that's is that really their goal is one of their goals to maintain eating kit kats and drinking soda or what's the underlying emotion yeah. thought pattern what is it that makes them feel that that's something that they can't give up what would what would life be like if you didn't feel like you needed to if you didn't have that desire to to keep eating that yeah. and then as a last thing at the end of the day we're all board certified physicians if somebody's really unwilling to on first encounter give up their sugar sweetened beverages and uh and you know high fructose corn syrup candies um and they have diabetes i'm very likely to put that person on to uh medication to start to get them better while we're working on getting them receptive to the point of instituting the lifestyle changes is that'll ultimately let us take them off of that medication right so we have multiple things we can work with and approaches we can take we're definitely a prescription last um mentality but not a i don't view it as a failure if somebody ends up needing to go on to a prescription medication by the time that happens we know we've done everything else and this is somebody who's truly appropriate for that therapy yeah, it's a great answer. I think, uh, you know, when you start asking those questions, you peel back the layers, you realize that there's, there's some narrative, there's some connection, there's some maybe trauma, there's something beneath the surface that that may be better suited for something like therapy, or it may be something mm -hmm. that can be worked through uh, with a health coach or, or something along those lines. Uh, but as always, it depends. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned an interesting uh, scenario where you have a client who comes in and says, uh, I want to, I want to win the CrossFit games. Uh, but then they also are maybe insulin resistant. Uh, so you've got a situation where there's a highly glycolytic demand on the type of training that they're doing and the recovery that they need. Uh, but their, their body is not really, uh, absorbing and, and using glucose as effectively as it could be. Uh, when there's conflicting goals like that, how do you sort through, uh, is it, Hey, you know what? We can go after this this goal, but um, but it may come at at the cost of this other goal. It, it it reminded me of one of the first coaches I ever worked with was like, you can't have a fat loss goal and a goal to find the best burger in town. Like you need your goals to be working together. <laughs> um, and it always stuck with me. So when you said that, I was like, you know what? That that could be an interesting scenario where there it may be a slight conflict of uh, you know, trying to to train at that level. And the carb demands uh, versus yeah. dealing with some, yeah. some I mean, insulin resistance. I'll say that um, one of the more interesting uh, observations I've I've made over the last couple of years of working with a lot of high performing athletes, whether in the CrossFit space or um, you know uh, professional sports or uh, you know national sports or even just like recreational highly active folks, um, is 
you really can look phenomenally good on the outside and have some stuff going on on the inside that you weren't at all aware of. Um, you know, the, the sort of picture of insulin resistance in, for traditional medicine is like the metabolic syndrome, right? Abdominal obesity, abnormal lipids, elevated blood glucose, elevated blood pressure. But you see these folks coming around with, you know, body fat percentages between, you know, five and 12 for men and, and, you know, 12 and 15 for women who have significant insulin resistance. Most of that, in my experience, tends to be um, less nutrition related and more overtraining um, and chronically elevated cortisol, um, which will drive insulin resistance. Um, and, um, you know, I don't see them necessarily as contradictory goals. I think one of the hardest things you can tell somebody who's training professionally or or even just, you know, really passionately for something is to, they, they need to back off and incorporate more active recovery. And I see you nodding because you know this, it's just like the last thing anybody wants to hear. Um, but sometimes this is where something like uh, HRV tracking can really uh, come into play with a patient or even continuous glucose monitoring. So to be able to, you know, folks who have their training regimen that has gotten them to such a high competitive level that they're grasping it and they are unwilling to let go. They're going to white knuckle that thing because this is what works for me. When you're able to give them some real-time continuous data showing that their recovery improved, their HRV improved, it went up when we tried this, their average glucose levels have come down with this intervention, then they get curious and they go, okay, let me take a let me, let me dive into this step, lean in a little bit more, see what happens. And you know, it's remarkable. The vast majority of the time, people see their their athletic performance improve as they start to incorporate a little bit less training. Um, but it's a it's a hard thing to let go of. You know, you, we started off with that thing between our ears and the stories we tell ourselves, and yeah. and you know, there's a lot of very firmly grasped beliefs there, and. Why do they want to listen to somebody who's not a competitive athlete at that level? I mean, I get it. There's there's a lot of, of um there's a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, but I think that measurement, um, particularly along things that are easily um viewed in in like a graph and uh and easily understood. What's your glucose level? Everybody kind of understands what that means. What's your HRV looking like? You know, athletes at that level have typically heard about HRV and either worn an HRV monitor or something in the past. And then sleep quality um, and being able to, to try interventions with that data being measured. It's much more likely that you're able to convince someone that this might be a good way to go uh, when they may have been biased against it. Yeah, I think that that's especially for a high performer, high level athlete the best selling point is their performance. <laughs> so when you can actually show them that you have a database decision and then they actually get better at whatever it is they're trying to improve on like that, even if it's, you know, a lot of times at that level, uh, a fraction of a percent improvement is, is a huge difference. It's meaningful. Um, yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as we, as we kind of begin to wrap up, I would love for you to uh, just let everybody know uh, where they can find out more about what you've got going on at wild health. If they wanted to, you know, inquire about working with you guys and, um, and, and I guess also just where you see, um, kind of the next iteration or as you, I know you, you're continuing to, um, continuously looking at research and it's all like, we, we talked about the gut microbiome. It's probably an area that we know so little about, even though we've discovered so much and we're probably maybe, 
two to five percent of what we actually know it's still a lot to uncover uh so where do you see kind of like the evolution of wild health and everything that you guys are doing there and then just let everybody know where they can can find out more yeah i mean one of the um the things that's so exciting about this is that the um there's new and emerging data on such a um a rapid rate that we're constantly learning new things about i you know there was a really interesting study just a couple of weeks back on um the mediterranean diet versus a uh high antioxidant the green mediterranean diet so basically like a certain amount of walnuts green tea a few times a day and i think they were using duckweed but you can't really get duckweed anymore so it's like uh you could probably substitute spirulina or something similar for it um and uh dramatically increased loss of visceral fat which we know drives a lot of the chronic health conditions that we want to avoid um, as compared to a mediterranean diet so you know this sort of stuff is emerging all the time we keep an eye on the medical literature obviously we uh, keep in touch with an amazing community of folks who are like-minded and and hear about things and research them so i think we um you know, we're continually refining the patient experience. We're um, we're adding new functionality around uh, health scores and um, you know uh, sleep architecture and, and sleep preferences for patients. So the science is continuing to chug along and and evolve. Um, and I think just uh, continuing to grow the business and and to care, touch as many lives as possible. I think that's really where we're going. Um, in terms of ways to get in touch, um, wildhealth.com. Uh, just wildhealth.com, no punctuation or anything. Um, and um, you can sign up there to be a patient. If you're a aspiring health coach or a health coach, um, we do have a, a training program that's starting in January that um, where you can, uh, which is accredited by the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching. So you can not only learn precision medicine, but also um, get the necessary training to sit for the board certification to become a board certified health coach. Um, that's It's also CME accredited. So if you're a physician is interested, that's open. And to check those out, just wildhealth.com forward slash education. Um, and then any of your listeners, um, if you're, uh, I, I reached out to our uh, our marketing team and uh and got you a, a promo code so if anybody's interested in in signing up as a patient macros 20 um so awesome. m-a-c-r-o-s 20 uh would get you 20 percent off of um of signing up as a patient with us awesome i appreciate that i will post all of those links in the promo code in the show notes so everybody can check that out um really great conversation i appreciate all of your your wisdom and uh it was great having you on and hopefully we'll stay in touch Sounds great. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Mike.